Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. All right, so we are in the book of Galatians. You can see there the uh, subtitles, Freedom Through Christ, which is a really good uh, kind of succinct way to put uh, what's going on in Galatians. As I mentioned, we're not in a particular passage today, so you know I have a couple of you know glimpses into some of these passages, uh, but I wanted to start off with an illustration uh, because my friend Adam is uh, really really good at illustrations, and every time I hear him teach, he reminds me. He doesn't know this, but he reminds me how valuable that illustrations are. So my brain is not geared for illustrations all the time, but. Uh, I'm reminded how valuable they are as we move into especially difficult concepts. So um, I was thinking through today, and I how many of you have keys with you today at some point? Uh, somebody has keys. Um, now, I, I was thinking through different ways to talk about this because, you know, there's a lot of different keys and a lot of different things. So I'm just going to pick one. Uh, I have a, a big orange toolbox in my garage uh, some people call them job boxes because they're, they're designed to not be broken into, like if you have it on a job somewhere. Um, so I, I used to use it when I was doing construction, and so I just still kind of have it. I use it for storage. But there are two locks in there that are housed inside the box. So it's actually it's pretty ingenious. Uh, when you close the lid, it goes down into the, the shackle of the lock. And then when you push the lock closed, uh, you can't lift the lid. But you also can't cut the lock because the lock is entirely encased inside the the box but you can see the keyhole so as long as you have the key you pop both of those locks you can get out whatever's in the box but if you lose the key that is a significant job <laughs> to, to get into that thing okay we're talking grinder with a cutting wheel we're talking a, a cutting torch we're talking something uh like that so Keep in mind, as we're working through Galatians, the idea of a key. Because we're going to talk about something that is at the heart of the gospel, and, that, and that's, that's justification by faith alone. But I want you to think of justification by faith alone as key that opens up all of the realities of the gospel to us. Everything that flows from the gospel, everything that's true about the gospel, if we lose that key, okay, if we lose justification by faith alone, we have lost the gospel and everything that flows from that. So this is big, okay? And, and you're going to see when you get into this letter, if, if you haven't read it yet, if you did read it, you saw, this is one of the sharpest critiques that Paul levies against anybody in any of his letters. And that's the reason why. Because that key is in danger of being lost. So just kind of keep that in your mind as we go through. This is the main theme that we put together for Galatians. One of the challenges of a main theme is you're trying to, <laughs> trying to include all the parts, uh, what's main, what's not. Um, we also just want to parrot uh, what other people do. So we kind of noodle this together, kind of work on it. A lot of conversation, a lot of prayer went into this. So um, we're really trying to just kind of put it in a, a nugget for you. 
it's 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 on the bookmark. It's on the overview notes. Uh, it'll be on your your note sheets every week, so you don't have to write it down. The heart of the gospel is justification by faith alone in Christ alone, not by obedience to any kind of external standard, resulting in freedom that is both empowered and shaped by the Spirit. All right, so so just a word on this because you're going to see this every week, and really you're going to see how Galatians unpacks this. But a word on this: the the heart of the gospel is what's at stake here. So like we lose this, we lose the gospel. And we're going to talk today a little bit about justification by faith alone, but then I don't want to spend too much time there because we're going to unpack it all series. But there is, there is a, a negative side to it in that it is not by obedience to any kind of external standards. There's nothing that we can do to garner God's favor or, or to earn God's favor outside of what God has already done for us. Right, so so Paul is very adamant about that. So that's why that kind of like abrupt, like not based on anything we can do, because as soon as you start having that conversation, you've dropped the key on the floor, okay? And you're like, okay, and, and, and you're in danger of losing it. That results in freedom, which is huge in Galatians. You see in the graphic there, there's there's chains being broken, like because. We're not in bondage to sin anymore. So it results in freedom that is both empowered by the Spirit, because we need the Spirit's power to live the Christian life, and shaped by it. Okay? So it's like empowered by it, and then Spirit says, this is what we do. Right? So it's not just empowered, and then we try to figure out what to do. It's both provided for and guided, which is pretty cool. And that's one of the big takeaways that we're going to have from, from Galatians. So... With that said, kind of keep those things in your mind. Uh, I don't have a lot of Galatians passages up here today. Um, like I said, we get to spend a lot of time in, in those passages as we go. But I wanted to start off with just uh, verses 1 and 2, and this is not even the whole verses. This is kind of just how Galatians kicks off. Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So in an overview, which is what we're doing today, one of the things we want to do is really try to set the stage for uh, this letter, for this book, and what's what's happening. So we want to spend some time on some of those kind of introductory things. So if you have a study Bible, these are things you would find in the introductory notes at the beginning of the book. Um, or if you read um, kind of like an article, like what is Galatians about? This is kind of the, some of the stuff you would see. Uh, it is an epistle written by Paul. An epistle is another way of saying it's a letter. And, and really biblical letters are written to talk about right doctrine and right practice. So like right belief and right action. And oftentimes, as is the case in Galatians, there's also a section that deals with error and false teaching that was present in the early churches. And, and Galatians certainly deals with that. Likely written sometime 80, 48 to 50. So really the biggest takeaway from that is this is early on. Okay, so we're talking, you know, AD 33 is when Jesus died and came back to life and went back to the Father. We're talking only 15, 16, 17 years-ish after that. So we are, we are still, like, we're mid-first century, but we're very early, early, early in the church when we're talking Galatians. And then he says, to the churches in Galatia, which is a little bit vague. And we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to have a map up here, and I'm going to show you some of that stuff. Before we get to that, I want to talk about this idea of redemptive historical context. Okay, so this is on your overview notes. If you've never heard this before, you're like, why, why do you have an adjective with a dash in it that's describing something like that seems complicated? 
Okay, it's not complicated. Uh, it's kind of like when we talk about biblical theology in Exodus, which there's a note on that in your overview notes as well, because these really tie together. So basically, redemptive historical context talks about where something fits into the history of redemption. Redemptive historical context. Okay, so it's just like a, a, a succinct way to say it, rather than saying where does this fit in the history of redemption. Okay. Um, and it's based on this idea, okay? Since God progressively reveals truth as the biblical story unfolds, in other words, we don't know everything at the beginning of the story that we know at the end of the story. Since God does that, this requires that each passage we study, so this is true no matter what you're studying, each passage we study has to be interpreted based on its context in the story, okay? So, for example, when you're reading Genesis 3 and you find out that God says that uh, there, there's, there's one coming that's going to crush the serpent's head. We don't know that that's Jesus in Genesis 3 until way later in the story. Adam and Eve have no clue who Jesus is. All right? So to, that, that's just one example. So anytime we're reading the story, no matter where we drop in, we have to consider redemptive historical context. You're like, well, why are you bringing this up? Because... It helps us ask questions like, where are we at in the Bible story? Okay, so in Galatians, you know, we're we're already into, you know, if you if you look at the Bible story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, creation, fall, redemption has already happened at this point in Galatians, right? So restoration has begun in part, but it's not been completed yet. So you know, but if you drop into, say, uh, Exodus, all right, um, creation has happened, fall has happened, but redemption through Jesus has not happened yet. And so much of what we talked about in Exodus was foreshadowing the redemption to come. But in Galatians, that redemption has already happened. Christ has already died. The gospel is, is coming. That's, that's why there's Galatian believers now. So, so we view things differently. So that's kind of the follow-up is, does this happen before or after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's going to matter no matter what passage we're in. Like, do the people we're reading about or the story we're understanding, did they know what the gospel is, right? And are, do they have the power of the Spirit based on the gospel? So those are all questions that are going to help us with interpretation. And then what has been revealed about God and his plan up to this point in the story? So what do we know? What has God told us so far? You know, did God make the covenant with Abraham and uh, Noah and then Mount Sinai, but we haven't seen the Davidic covenant yet. You know, if we're if we're in Joshua, or we're in Judges. So um, basically, it's 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 another set of lenses that we use to look at the story. And so that's I, I wanted to bring it up and kind of bring it to your attention because in Galatians, something really big has just been revealed within the last fifteen years of the writing of Galatians. Okay. Something really big. Paul in Ephesians calls it a mystery. Okay, in Galatians, it shows up in verse or chapter three, verse twenty-eight, for to, to give one example. And it's this idea: there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is really big. <laughs> okay, because everything we've seen in the story so far is that you had to be a Jew in order to be God's people. You had to be Jewish, okay? So, so God's, God's 
gospel and God's redemption and God's plan and, and God's protection and God's provision and all of that, we saw it really big in Exodus, all of that came because they were Jews. Okay, so, so if you were not Jewish, that's a significant problem if you want to be in relationship with God, okay? Or if you're trying to figure out anything about this God, right? So there was kind of a necessary prerequisite up to this point in the story. That's why when the gospel comes, and then we see everything happen in Acts, and we're going to talk quite a bit about Acts today, you see this huge explosion because now all of a sudden, Jewishness is not the primary prerequisite anymore. And you see it here. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. <laughs> right? There is a in Christ idea now that characterizes God's people. So that shift is just starting to happen. Okay, so here we are like, you know, almost 2,000 years later, that shift has happened thousands of years ago. We're like, yeah, we know that. The Galatians, however, are struggling through this. So you have to understand redemptive historical context to know why this struggle would have been such a big deal for them, why this error would have been so grave for them. So in order to do that and kind of show you from the text why redemptive historical context is important and why we brought it up, I want to show you the connection that Galatians has to Acts. All right. So uh, if you want to go to Acts in your Bible, you can. Uh, we're actually, there's more Acts passages today than Galatians passages because, again, we're setting the stage, not unpacking a particular passage in Galatians. So I want to walk through this. And I think you will see how what happens in Acts comes to bear on what Paul's going to say in, in the sharpest rebuke that he writes in the New Testament. So let's go to Acts 13, just to kick things off. Um, and we'll just read verses 1 through 3. So we're going to kind of work our way through Acts 13 and 14 before we come back around to Galatians. <clears throat> This is verse 1, Acts 13. Now there were in the church of, at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this really is the start of missionary activity in Acts. So the gospel is beginning to go out from Jerusalem. So let's take a look at the map to kind of get our, our bearings here, all right? So you can see that Galatia is a region, not a town. Okay, so a lot of times, like when Paul writes Ephesians, he writes, you know, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is a city. Galatia is not. Galatia is a region, which is why it's a little more difficult to kind of pinpoint who Paul was, was talking about when he says the churches of Galatia. Like, huh, I mean, that could be quite a few. So let me just zoom out for a second so you can see where we're at in the world. All right, so um, you'll notice, I think that literally just stopped working in the middle of me using it. All right, so you'll notice we were here, okay, and we're going to zoom back in here. Here you'll notice some of the, the cities that Pastor Darren's been talking about in a Revelation series, Thyatira, Philadelphia, um, and there's Italy, this is Northern Africa, 
Jerusalem here. So kind of you kind of see where we're at in the world because the gospel is moving out and the gospel is spreading. And the explosion that's happening in Acts is going to begin to affect the then known world and eventually, obviously, the entire world. So let's zoom back in and kind of see what's going on here. So Antioch is kind of the hub, if you will, of uh, early church activity. So you had Jerusalem, which you can see on the map there. Uh, there's an arrow pointing down because it's actually not on this map. But Jerusalem, obviously, there's, there's, a, there's a big church there. But Antioch also had a very big established church. And that's going to really come into play, especially for Paul and his missionary journeys. So what happens, let me just walk you through this because this is super cool. And um, is one of those things is the beauty of uh, studying expositionally is I never saw these connections between this section of Acts and Galatians and how it just dovetails. So I couldn't not put it in here. Um, so that's why I'm nerding out today and spending a lot of time on the map. All right. But I think you'll see uh, the relevance. So you'll see, I kind of try to trace the, the journey on the map. So Paul starts in Seleucia and he goes down from Antioch to Seleucia, which would just be the port. Then he sails to Cyprus, which is uh, Salamis. So I have the Acts references there. We're not going to go to all those, but we are going to go to a couple of them because they're too good not to go to. Um, so then he, he spent some time on Cyprus. There's some interaction. Acts 13 tells us about that. Uh, then he works his way across Cyprus, sails from Paphos up to Perga. So now he's up on uh, kind of Asia Minor there. And if you, if you know the biblical story, uh, you know this is where John Mark bails on the mission. Uh, John Mark's like, I'm out. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And that has uh, ramifications later on when Barnabas is like, hey, I think we should bring Mark. Paul's like, I'm not working with the dude that bailed on us. But that's not our point for today. But that's when that happens. So first missionary journey. Um, there were others besides Paul and Barnabas. Uh, we don't know how many, but there were others. So from Perga, they head straight up to another Antioch in Pisidia. So, you know, it's confusing. Um, they left Syrian Antioch and they end up in Pisidian Antioch. Okay, so it would not be unlike, you know, uh, us having two towns named the same thing. That's just the nature of that. So what happens in Antioch and Pisidia is like the first extended sermon that we see Paul uh, give on his missionary journey. So um, Paul is, is, is moving the gospel out, taking it, this mystery, this good news that, that now everybody can be in Christ because of Jesus. So he's taking that and, and he unpacks this, this extended sermon, but it stirs up opposition. Okay? Many believe but there's opposition. So check out this passage in Acts 13. This is 44 to 49. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Heck yes, because like, this is awesome, right? Remember, this is just news. This is really good news that for thousands of years has not been true. The Gentiles can have salvation too. And then the text says, as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed and the word of the lord was spreading throughout the whole region like spirits doing his work like 
This is awesome. This is just the beginning. All right. So <clears throat> that happens in uh, Antioch and Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas are driven out of there from the opposition. They go to Iconium, and many people believe in Iconium, and they're actually there for a long time. So we don't know how long. The text just says a long time. So uh, Acts 14, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. How long? Don't know. Long time. Opposition, the word is doing its thing, though, right? People are, are believing. So then they are threatened, okay? They, they're threatened with stoning. So they're like, we're out of here. We're going to go to Lystra, or Lystra, however you want to pronounce that. So they go to Lystra. And then something happens in Lystra that is connected to the previous cities that they visited, all right? So the Jews from Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium show up in Lystra. So the Jews that were opposing them kind of follow them and show up. So then they go to Derby. all right? So like, we're out. So the end of Acts 14, or towards the end of Acts 14. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. They stoned him, okay, Next day, he's like, we got to go to Derby. <laughs> Paul, you want to take a day off? No, we got to go to Derby. Supposing he was dead, this is not like they threw a couple stones at him. All right, this is, this is intense opposition that's happening. Notice, wait, not going to go there. All right, that's later. So then what happens? So they go, they're in Derby. Okay, this is essentially first missionary journey. Then what happens? Uh, the text says they basically retraced their steps and went the whole way back. Uh, they did stop in Italia, which they didn't stop there on, on the way to. But they basically retraced their steps, going back to the city that where he was stoned, <laughs> okay, which is, which is Lystra. And the text says, strengthening all the churches as they went, preaching the gospel. So, notice the opposition in, in Acts. When the Jews saw the crowds... The Jews inside of the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. That's the one we just read. They stoned them. Do you see the shape of the opposition on Paul's first missionary journey? Do you see how the redemptive historical context helps you understand why that opposition was there? The Jews are thinking they're protecting the truth. Really, what's happened is they've lost the tr truth because they're not believing the gospel. They're not believing this good news that anyone can be made right with God in Christ. So they think they're protecting the truth, but in reality, what Paul's saying is, no, 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 you, you, you're misunderstanding the gospel. 
And then Acts 15, just verse 1. So 13 and 14 is like Paul's missionary journey. And then verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch, back home, giving the report. Now, down in Jerusalem, like what, what's going on here? Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The key is on the floor. It's kicked under the desk now. And this thing in Acts 15 happens called the Jerusalem Council, which is basically early church leaders getting together to say, what do we do? What, what's the gospel, <laughs> essentially? Like, do people have to be circumcised to be saved? Like, we, we got to figure this out. So they send Paul and Barnabas down to the Jerusalem Council. So whether or not Paul wrote Galatians before or after that, it doesn't really matter. The context is the same. So look at the issue in Galatians, and I'm not going to get into uh, all of this, but I just want you to see Galatians 2, Galatians 5, 5, 6, circumcision, circumcision, uncircumcision. Same, same issue, right? Parallel issue. There's a lot going around about this circumcision bit, right? But remember when it is in redemption's history and why this would be such a big deal. So let me ask you guys just real quick. Why? Why does something like circumcision matter for us? Because <laughs> talking about something that has to do with male genitals is awkward. Okay? Like the Bible brings it up all the time. You're like, the circumcision, circumcision. Okay, I don't really want to talk about that. Like, is that really even an issue anymore? Why do we need to talk about it? Why do we need to talk about it? Why are we spending 12 weeks in Galatians? Anybody know? Anybody want to hazard a guess? I don't often ask circumcision questions, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you're over here saying you're set apart, but you're not circumcised. Up to this point in the story, being set apart meant you were circumcised. Right? That's the, that's the issue that the Galatians are wrestling with. And here's why it matters for us. Okay, here's where it comes to bear. It's not really about circumcision. Okay, which you probably know that. You probably knew that. But it's not really about the circumcision. It's about the root issue. So the circumcision issue is just the fruit showing up in that particular way. The root issue is justification by faith alone. <laughs> Okay, that's why this is such a powerful letter, because justification by faith alone is incredibly relevant for all of us. Okay, so root level stuff 
you see it show up in fruit. And we're going to see it show up in all kinds of ways in our life in fruit. So this <clears throat> issue gets at the heart of the gospel, right? Is it, is it justification by faith alone or is it justification by faith plus something else? And that's really the issue that was at the heart of the Reformation, right? And we don't have time to go into all of that. Martin Luther called this doctrine the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. That sounds kind of like a key that you need to unlock truth. <laughs> so in Galatians, we'll see Paul give one of the most robust treatments, robust defenses of justification by faith alone. So a couple notes on this, and I wouldn't try to write these down, um, and we're going to talk a lot about justification by faith, but I just wanted to kind of give you an overview. To be justified is to be legally declared righteous in the sight of God. It's not your conversion. It's how God views you because of your conversion. It's the legal declaration of your righteousness. But it's not based on anything you do. Okay, so, so understand. That's why it's the key that unlocks all of those realities that are true of the gospel. If justification required keeping the law, we would all be lost. God graciously declares sinners to be righteous when they trust in the substitutionary work of Christ alone. That's faith. To be declared righteous or justified by God does not mean that God overlooks sin, that he forgives sinners on the basis of their faith in Christ's work. These are on your overview notes as well. So, <clears throat> so if, I, if I would give you a definition of justification by faith alone, instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. So he's not just forgiving our sins, he's viewing us with the righteousness of Christ. We call that imputation, what's imputed righteousness. It's not ours, it's alien, it's outside of us. So if God just forgave our sins and didn't give us Christ's righteousness, we would have a clean slate and then start sinning again. No longer righteous. Christ's righteousness comes, that's built into justification by faith. So justification by faith, one of the big themes, law, you'll, you'll see law show up in Galatians as you go through. As um, Tracy said previously, the law marked off God's people and acquired external conformity. Circumcision was part of that. Now that Christ has come, the law's function has changed through justification by faith, believers are released by the Spirit from sin's bondage to an extent not possible before. We are now able to fulfill the law by the power of the Spirit. Paul's going to talk about that too. So, so we'll get into that more. The other main theme that I wanted to point out to you is God's family. And this has to do with the mystery. Regardless of ethnic origin, all believers are metaphorical children within the same family. Faith alone in the true gospel unites us with Christ as children of the promise made to Abraham. And there's a ton about that. United with Christ, we are no longer slaves imprisoned by the law. Free, freedom, shackles are gone. Now we are adopted sons who receive all the freedoms that come with being in God's family by God's spirit. But you need the key of justification by faith alone to be an adopted son or daughter. So I'll end with this. If you're not convinced yet, okay, why should we study Galatians? I've got five reasons for you. I'm not really going to comment on them. I'm just going to kind of lay them out here, and then i got to wrap. Number one, 
Without the heart of the gospel, we have no gospel. That's, that's the number one reason to study Galatians. You don't want to lose the key. Number two, we need the gospel not only to become Christians, but also to live as Christians. So if you kind of think that uh, the gospel is something you believe once, and then you tell it to unbelievers so they'll believe, then you're misunderstanding the gospel. It's part of it, but only a small part of it. Galatians will talk about that. Number three, we're in danger of relying on our own ability to live as Christians. You and I fight this every day. We're in danger of relying on our own power. Like we know we're saved by faith alone, but then uh, what? Galatians is going to speak to that. Number four, we tend to be functional legalists. We tend to judge ourselves based on what we do or don't do, even though we know that God doesn't do that. So we know that, but we tend functionally to be legalist, and Galatians is going to address that. And then the last reason, we need to understand how the gospel empowers and shapes all of life. And I talk about that a little bit at the beginning. Not just empowering, shaping. Spirit gives you, the kind of like uh, if you had a remote control car. Spirit gives is the batteries that make the car go, but also is steering it to give you the direction, not just one or the other, both. And Galatians will speak to that. So my final uh, slide is Galatians 2.16 as kind of a summary of this overview. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We talk a lot about the key and the heart of the gospel in Galatians. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. Uh, God, I'm just, just grateful for your word. And just thank you for stirring up in me a, a love for it and a desire for it. I hope that that is conveyed this morning in this teaching. I pray that your spirit would stir up in us a hunger for this truth about who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to grab stuff on your way out. I got to go baptize somebody. <laughs>